Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all here this morning. Welcome to uh, everyone here in the sanctuary. Welcome to all of you tuning in, uh, either down in the uh, Rankin Hall or in the chapel or at home, wherever you are. We're so thankful that we can gather together for worship this morning in the name of the Lord. Um, over the past couple weeks, I have been going over some of the protocols that have, uh, we've encouraged for gathering here. And so at this point, I am trusting that you know what you should be doing. If you have any doubts, follow the signs. There's signs everywhere that tell you you use hand sanitizer and all the protocols for bathrooms and all that. So um, we appreciate everyone uh, participating with our, our policies. It's been great to um, hear of the health that the Lord has blessed us with and that we can continue to gather like this. It's such a blessing. So I, uh, I say that. Uh, to say that now there's room for different kinds of announcements. So I have two announcements for you. Both are very important. The first one is that uh, we have a need, as we continue to meet in person and have two services, we have a need for ushers and greeters to help facilitate worship in uh, as people are coming into the building and as people are in the various worship spaces. It's not like we just have only the sanctuary we're trying to staff. We're actually staffing for multiple rooms. And so um, we would love if you feel like that is something you could do, you could use your gifts of welcome and encouragement and joy to greet people, uh, safety to make sure folks are, are knowing where they, should, they can go. And uh, if you have those types of spiritual gifts, we'd love for you to help us out and serve as an usher or greeter. You can sign up through the links that come out in the email through Atonement Life. If you have questions about, well, what does a greeter or an usher during COVID-19 do? You can talk to Jim Rohr. He'd be happy to give you more information. Um, if you're here in the building, you can try to find Jim after the service, and he'll talk to you outside. Or um, you can email him at connect at atonementlife.org. The other announcement that is very exciting, and I'm so happy that we get to announce this, is, uh, as many of you may have already seen in Atonement Life, starting Wednesday at 8 p.m. on September 2nd, there will be a weekly time of worship and prayer that is virtually streamed. So our worship team will be gathered here. Um, we have the ability to stream that service through Facebook and uh, share that with folks. And so we hope you'll participate. We hope you'll take advantage of that and enjoy that ministry as we try to provide some midweek offerings for gathering and, uh, and celebrating what God has done and, uh, and praising Him for His goodness and love. So Luke uh, will be leading that. We will have likely Dale and, and many others with gifts uh, involved in that. Um, and it will be a weekly offering at 8 p.m. So either the kids are just going down or maybe, every, maybe you're about to go to bed. Uh, what a great way to end the day, right? You get to uh, end the day um, participating in some worship, and singing with your brothers and sisters and praising God. Well, we are gathered here to commune with God in worship. We are gathered to praise him and to bring requests before his throne and at the same time to draw strength from him and encouragement from his word. So I have a scripture for our call to worship this morning. I would invite you to please stand for this scripture. And it's going to be a, a passage we meditate upon throughout our gathering this morning. Scripture is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Very famous. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As we continue with worship this morning, I encourage you to feel free to be seated. Luke is going to lead us in a song which is called All I Have is Christ. What a great reminder of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah. All I Would you please join me in time of prayer? Our topic today is the importance of prayer in the church, essential prayer. So it's fitting that we address the Lord with our concerns, confessions of sin, and 
ask for his help as we open up his word. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we know in very real ways what you mean whenever Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. We know the burdens that we carry from the sin in this world brings us frustration and hardship and that brings division in relationships. We know the heaviness and the burdens we carry from the sin that remains in us. The things that we still haven't seemed to have mastered yet. That still feel like we're being mastered by. Lord, we know what it means and we feel what it means to labor and toil when we try to pursue our own will or even your will in our own power for our own glory. So when we hear the words of Jesus, there's nothing we can do except reject them and carry the weights and burdens or come. And so we ask, Father, in this silent moment, through Christ, that you would hear our prayers to you, and relieve these burdens, forgiving the sins that we confess. Hear our prayers. Father, what gracious words we hear in in what Christ spoke as he encourages us to take his yoke and learn from him so that we might find rest for our souls. Knowing what Christ did for us by living a perfect life which we cannot live and dying in a place that we deserved. What a blessed thought it is to know that before your throne we stand forgiven. That our souls may find rest. Pray that you would help us to continue to learn from your Son, our Savior. We pray that as we come under your word, you would continue to speak to us your truth that you would help us to grow in righteousness, that we might better live as the church, the people that you have called, this essential means to witness for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning for our children's sermon, I wanted to do something a little different. It's not so much a sermon as a bit of an activity. Um, Today we are talking about the importance of prayer and how prayer is essential in the life of 
the, uh, the church. It's essential to the work of God's people and, and the strength of God's people. And so since we're talking about the importance of prayer, we're going to be looking at ways in which prayer strengthens us to do the things that God has for us to do. And there's something that is going to be happening that uh, many of our community, our parents, our, our children here in the church, even people who aren't a part of the church, they are filled with anxiety about. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's something about to begin that everybody is kind of dreading. Everybody's anxious. Everyone's worried. How is this going to go? How are we going to make it? How are we not going to all spontaneously combust? It's school. School is about to start for so many. Um, some of you have already maybe started school if you're in part of a homeschool group. Some of you are just about ready to start. I know in our congregation, we've got teachers, we've got students, and what's really interesting is not just people in the church are worried about this, everybody is worried about this. Everyone's panicked. Your parents are wondering, how are my kids going to do in school? Are they going to, to be further behind than they would have been if, if school was just normal? Are they going to get their homework done? Are they going to respect their teachers? Are they going to respect me? That's what your parents are saying. And you're saying, oh, how am I going to get school done with my parents around? They're always going to be on my business. They're going, to, they're going to know how my teachers are talking to me. They're going to know all my homework assignments. They're going to expect and, and walk through and make sure I'm always doing it. I'm going to be exhausted just trying to be acting the right way in front of my parents. Right? There's all sorts of ways in which we're feeling the heaviness of this time. Everybody's worried. How is this going to work? And so I thought, you know, probably the best thing we can do in the midst of all this kind of heaviness and hardship about school starting is to pray and ask for God's help for this school year. That's probably the best thing I can do as a pastor is to pray for our students and our parents and our teachers and ask for God's help as we begin this. So would you please join me and let's, let's ask the Lord's help and blessing upon this school year. Father, we thank you for the gift of education that we live in this country, and there are so many opportunities for us to grow in wisdom and in understanding of this world you've created. Sometimes, Lord, school can feel really boring. Sometimes it can be really hard and make us feel like we're, we're not smart. There can be so many struggles with school normally. And now, Father, we're separated from our friends there's going to be students who don't feel like they're understanding the material. There's going to be parents who are worried about all the time that the computer screen is on and, and all the fatigue that comes with being in front of a, of a screen and, and the headaches and all of that, Lord. For the teachers and the administrators who are dealing with parents who are angry about the situation, parents who are just trying to help it can be hard to tell the difference. And so, Lord, this is such a hard time. There are so many variables. And so we need your help. And so, Father, I want to pray specifically for the kids here at Church of the Atonement, for all the students that are going back to school, and pray that you would help them, Lord. Help them to look at school as a blessing and be thankful for it. There's so many who do not have the ability to learn in the ways that we do. I pray that you would give them the ability to understand material and, 
and grow in their knowledge of this world and, and use that for your kingdom. I pray for our teachers and administrators who are going to be trying to do this thing for the first time or, or second time, a redo of the spring, and pray that you would give them grace. Grace to handle angry, upset families. Grace to understand the families that are just trying to help. Grace to go the extra mile to help students who are falling behind. Pray your blessings upon both teachers and administrators and students. Lord, I pray for all the parents who are wrestling with how we're going to make this work. How are we going to have the child care we need and take care of our kids and get our own work done? Lord, in the midst of all these anxieties, I pray that you would grant us peace. I ask, Father, for special protection for the relationships between parents and children. This is such an opportunity for the evil one to create conflict and fighting and defensiveness and anger in relationships that are supposed to foster love and unity and respect. And so, Lord, I pray that you would protect our families. Instead of uh, despair and discouragement, I pray that this season would actually be unifying, that families would feel stronger that parents would feel invested and connected to the education of their children and also demonstrate they trust their kids. Lord, may it be a beautiful thing to see how you answer these prayers. And may we continue daily to rest upon you for help as we begin this new year in school. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I would ask for you to turn to... Um, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. We are going to be looking at the importance of prayer, as I've already mentioned. And I already know probably how many of you are thinking uh, as you hear that we're going to be talking about prayer. And just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard a sermon on prayer before? Right? That's pretty much everybody. You've heard a sermon on prayer. Yeah. If you've been in the church for any length of time, uh, been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard of a few sermons on prayer, I'm willing to bet. Um, I don't know how many you remember, uh, but you probably know you've heard a couple sermons on prayer. And so I already know some of you are bracing yourselves uh, for a sermon that kind of maybe already says something you already know. Some of you are bracing yourselves for the guilt trip that you're expecting to come about how we should be praying more, right? Just... Being completely honest, I know that's how some are feeling this morning because that's how I used to feel whenever a pastor would get up and preach about prayer. I would always think, oh, yeah, I should be doing that more. That was immediately my response and braced myself for the conviction that I knew was going to come. Well, I'm not going to go for a guilt trip. That's not my intent this morning. Uh, you're not going to hear that today, at least not intentionally from me. Uh, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, you should listen. But um, I just imagine there's three types of people listening to this sermon this morning. Either you're in the camp where you, there, there are those of you who absolutely believe in the power and practice of prayer. You have seen God work through prayer. You know how important it is to the church. You know how it has drawn you closer to the Lord and given you confidence in who He is, His faithfulness. And so you hear this and you're like, Yes, we are talking about prayer. That is what 
Y'all need, you need to hear about prayer. Very happy you're here. Glad you're here. The sermon might not be for you, but hopefully you're encouraged by it. There's two other types of people that are listening this morning. Those of you who know prayer is important, but you wrestle with doing it, where prayer feels in some ways maybe a little burdensome. Maybe it feels fruitless, and so you struggle with it. You're the type of person, if you're like me, where it's the one time where you really think, maybe I do have an attention deficit disorder of some kind, right? Because every time I sit down to pray, all I can do is think about anything but what I'm trying to pray about. And you feel, this is the ones who are bracing for the guilt trip, right? You feel like, I know I should be doing it more. Some of you don't find yourself in either of those two categories. Some of you don't maybe don't think that prayer is actually important. You doubt that that it's ever uh, efficacious. It doesn't seem to work. And maybe you even wonder, why would God listen to me anyway? And so if you place yourself in either of those last two categories, I hope you'll stay with us this morning. The the scripture passage we're going to be looking at this morning um, has an important context to it. We're going to be looking at at chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. But all that precedes that um, is really important for us to know. So I just want to summarize that for us this morning. What happens in the beginning of chapter 3 is Peter and John are headed into the temple during the ninth hour, which is an hour dedicated for a time of prayer, we learn. What's very interesting, you know, I said last week they devoted themselves to the prayers. It could very very well be that they were devoting themselves to the practice of attending the temple daily for these times of prayer uh, and praying together in the name of Christ. And so as they're going into the temple, they're coming to a place where there is a man who is always there. This man is lame, which means he is ceremonially unclean. He cannot worship God as everyone else worships God. And so he sits outside, he is lame, he's handicapped, and he begs for monetary assistance. He begs for alms, for gifts. And so the disciples approach, they see this man, and they direct his attention to them. And Luke records that they say, look, we have no silver or gold to offer you, but we can offer you this. And they heal him in Jesus' name. The man is healed, and many people recognize him. This is the guy. He's over 40. He's an old man. He's over 40, and he is healed. He's been lame for all of his life. And now he's walking around like one of us. This miracle takes uh, everyone by surprise. They're all uh, struck by what takes place. And so it serves as an opportunity for Peter to proclaim the gospel once again, explicitly calling people to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And Peter's very explicit. This healing was done through Jesus' power. In other words, Jesus is still at work. And while Peter is speaking, some of the temple guards come up and arrest him and John. And the two are brought before the Sanhedrin, that is the Jewish council of leaders. And the Sanhedrin uh, question them. And Peter responds, speaking very boldly and eloquently. And it says that they are amazed at his boldness because he was an uneducated man. And they, it's the scripture records here, Luke says, that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so the Sanhedrin says Peter, to Peter and John, it says, stop preaching about Jesus. 
And Peter, Peter famously responds to them, in essence, telling the Sanhedrin, look, you guys, you do what you judge is right. We have to do what is right for us, which is what God commanded us to do in preaching and being a witness. And so uh, that story, or that uh, record closes. Uh, it says, after being threatened further, they were released. And that's where we're going to pick up our passage this morning. So let's follow along uh, as I read beginning in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of Our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. From our passage in a moment, I want to make five observations about prayer from this this scripture we just read. But before I do that, I I feel I need to make a a more uh, broad observation, one observation about the essential place of prayer in the life of God's people. You know, why is it that I'm advocating prayer is essential? Well, if we look specifically in the context of Acts over the chapters that we have uh, spent time in, it actually shows up five times. That five times Luke records the disciples prayed. It shows up immediately after Jesus ascends and and tells them what mission they are going to be on. Right where he says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. They went away from this moment and it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Shortly after that, Acts chapter 1 verse 24, they are trying to decide who is going to take the one who betrayed Jesus. Who's going to take that place among the disciples? Who's going to take Judas's spot? And they have two men before them and they pray. And they said, oh Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these you have chosen. So they pray as they have this crucial leadership decision to make. As we saw last week in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the prayers, this means of grace. And now we see that Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. That's in Acts chapter 3. And then here, that as we just read in our passage this morning, they lifted up their voices together and prayed in response to the, threatenings, uh, the threats of the Sanhedrin. And so 
what we can see is in Acts, there's just this remarkable theme of prayer that is constant in the work and obedience of the disciples. Prayer is, is just a part of what they do to remain on mission. If we zoom out and look at scriptures more broadly, we see in the New Testament, the apostles are consistent with this prayer. We see them writing in epistles of how they're praying for the churches, praying for all the believers, that they would be strengthened and nourished in their faith. If we look into the Old Testament, we see all the people who walked closely with God prayed. It's very interesting. And also interesting, even Jesus, during his earthly ministry, prayed to the Father. Scripture records how so often Jesus went off into secluded places to pray. He taught his disciples to pray, saying famously, our Father, and and how they should pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. He taught about how the the Father is truly good and is is better than any earthly father at giving gifts that his children ask for. Maybe one of the most famous times of prayer in the ministry and life of Jesus on this earth was the night of his betrayal and arrest where Jesus sought strength from his father. Listen to the words that this is Jesus, the son of God, prayed this. Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. He's talking about if I can't do anything but go through the cross, your will be done. That's how Jesus prayed. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. As we look to scripture, Prayer is an essential practice of God's people. When we pray, we have special and direct access to God who created all things. And so we have this consistent testimony throughout Scripture that God continuously works through the prayers of His people according to His plan. We see over and over again, the people pray, God answers the prayer. The people pray, God promises to answer the prayer. Over and over again. Now, I know the more cynical of us this morning will say, well... Scripture only records the prayers that God answered. It doesn't record all the prayers people prayed and he didn't answer, right? That would be the more cynical of us. It's okay. We still love you. You know, we could take that and maybe there's some truth to that. You could look at it that way. Or you could look at it from the opposite perspective, which seems to be the perspective that the Bible emphasizes over and over again, that even in this perfectly inspired book, it does not contain all the wonderfully gracious things that God has done on behalf of his people. This is just a sampling of the goodness of God. So you could have the more cynical outlook of like, well, these are only the answered prayers. Actually, there are instances in which there seem to be prayers that go unanswered, or at least according to what is requested. But I think the greater testimony of Scripture is this is just a sample of, of God who is faithful. He answers prayer. And so what this means is God wants us to pray. Why am I making such a big deal about this point? I think sometimes we struggle to commit to prayer because we think, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do, even if I don't pray. Almost like we expect God to work around us when it's very clear that God's intention is he wants to work through us. He wants us to make ourselves available and he wants to build and increase our faith. And so, meanwhile, we miss out on opportunities to see our faith grow. If you pray and ask God to work according to his will, and he answers those prayers, isn't he going to seem far more faithful than when you don't pray? Right? You have written, maybe in a prayer journal, maybe in, in, just in your head, 
all these instances in which God has prayed and been, or you have prayed and God has been faithful. And so if you're not praying, you're missing out on that. Answered prayer fuels our confidence and faith for the next season of prayer. And so it's essential to the church because God's made it essential. The church can't be built through our own wisdom or our own strength or our own charisma. And as we've seen over the past weeks, it's only built and accomplished through God's help. The disciples are receiving the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and they're using his means of grace for the mission of being witnesses. And so we see, even in our passage this morning, this is done through prayer, constant prayer. Now, I have to go quickly through these this morning, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly, and hopefully you all can stick with me, and you'll see why as we get to the end of the service. Um, but I want to make five observations from the passage about prayer for us this morning. The first one is, is <laughs> very basic, very important. Um, sometimes the most basic things, simple things, are still the most important things. So, observation number one. The disciples seek help from God in prayer. The disciples seek help from God. When they pray, they ask for God's help to continue speaking. As I mentioned last week, prayer is a means of grace. It is the way that God strengthens his disciples for their calling. As they request help, he answers and strengthens. We see in our passage that they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're refreshed to speak with boldness. And so, When we come to God in prayer, prayer positions us to receive God's help, right? Prayer positions us to receive God's power. It's because we know when we come in prayer to God that God is the one who provides all we need. God is the one who builds the kingdom. And so in prayer, what we're doing is we're acknowledging our dependence on God. And so we see that modeled for us in what the disciples do. They're dependent on God for boldness. And so they ask for help. What did they pray for? They prayed, as I just said, for boldness. This is the second one. They prayed for boldness. It's very interesting. Listen to how they prayed. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It's very interesting here that when they pray, they acknowledge their situation. God, look at the threats that we're facing. But they don't pray that the threats go away. They pray that they would be faithful. Does that not blow your mind? They don't pray for God to change the situation. They pray for God to help them be faithful to their call. I don't know about you, but that is not the way I typically start my prayers whenever I face a hardship. My natural inclination is to, is to pray, Lord, move the thing, get the, get the hardship out of here, make it safe, make it comfortable, right? That's the way I'm naturally wired to pray. That's what I pray for. They prayed for boldness. I don't know how you pray. Do you pray for the strength to remain faithful, the strength to obey? Or is the heart of your prayer more just that the situation would change? I found that very challenging in how they pray. Number three, their prayer is informed by Scripture. What we see is they speak 
from the Psalms. And they use the Psalms to understand what is happening. Why are they facing these threats? Well, it makes perfect sense. Scripture informs them that kingdoms and nations will come against God and His Holy One. And they know, as Jesus taught, just as they are coming against me, they're going to come against you. Because the human heart rebels against God and His truth. The fallen human heart does not want to come under God's headship or lordship. We want to be God's in our own power. And so, how do they understand the world? How do they understand, God, we're supposed to be your witnesses, but there are threats coming against us. How are we going to do this? Well, they already know. This is par for the course. They're informed by Scripture. And so their prayer is strengthened through Scripture. Think about how Scripture can strengthen your prayers. First of all, these are words that are divinely inspired. So when you're at a loss for words, these are words you can speak. Words from the very heart of God. Scripture helps us to see the world as God sees it, right? We've talked about that a few times now, and and that's definitely the way it's being used in this passage. Scripture also reminds us of God's faithfulness from testimony after testimony after testimony. Reminds us of His grace. Reminds us of His love. Reminds us of His power. Reminds us of His promises. Imagine if when you went to pray for something, you could just recall and come to mind with every promise that was sealed in the blood of Christ for you in prayer. Imagine if you could just recall those promises. How much boldness would you pray? There's a lot more when you know the promises of God than when you don't. If you know the character of God, you can pray a lot more easily than when you don't know. And so, prayer is strengthened through Scripture, as we see. Number four. They pray because Scripture's informing them, they're praying according to God's will. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done. And we see that as they're praying, they say, we, we understand this. This is why Pontius Pilate and Herod came against Jesus. This is why all these people came against him. In your perfect plan, we all know the day of the crucifixion, that was not the disciples' plan. On the night of the betrayal, Peter wanted none of that to happen. But now in hindsight, as Peter and others are praying, they know God can take the most hopeless, despair, or, or desperate situation and bring life out of it. And so they are informed by this, and they pray according to God's will. These threats must be part of what God's will is. And they pray according to that. For faithfulness. You know, so many times when I have approached God in prayer in my life, I have found myself praying for my will, the things that I want. Um, and as I've grown as a believer, it's very interesting. I've seen a correlation where prayer becomes far more fruitful when I pray according to God's will and pray for His will to happen and not my own. Very affirming to see that. And so we see that in this passage this morning. Prayer is an opportunity to align ourselves with God's will and put ourselves on God's timeline and therefore see God's faithfulness to answer. The fifth um, point that I want to bring up this morning, observation, is that they prayed 
on the basis of their relationship to God through Jesus. We might miss this if we don't pay close attention because the disciples don't close their prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, amen, right? That's how we do it. That's the formula. Um, But Luke is very careful. He emphatically records how the miracle, the healing of this lame man is very clear. This was done through the power of Jesus' name. In other words, it's not us. It's not our power. It's not our, we don't have magic. This is Jesus still at work through his spirit in his church. They're very clear about that. And then in verses 29 and 30, they're asking for, for help, continued boldness, as God continues to work through the name of Jesus and provide signs and miracles. So in other words, Jesus is still at work. Though he's absent from their sight, he's still with them. Emmanuel, God with us through the Spirit. And so they prayed in Jesus' name, and we do that as well. Think about this. I think this is really helpful. If you think about what we're doing in prayer, we are coming before the God of the universe and asking a favor, asking for help. What do we base that on, right? If we, if we come before him and try to come with our own merits and say, God, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not like that, <laughs> right? Which one of us, if we're going to rest in our own righteousness, in our own character, which one of us would dare pray to God? Which one of us would dare ask anything of him? We would not dare. But when we understand we pray based on Christ's righteousness and that we can pray through grace that has been given to us in Jesus, who would dare not to pray? Who would dare not to pray? Far too often, you know, when we pray, and I I admit this, sometimes I'm flippant when I say, in Jesus' name, amen. It rolls off the tongue. It's a very, you know, crucial word formula of prayer, and yet we need to always have the heart formula of faith in those words as we say them. That as we pray, it's more than a formula of words. It's the belief of our heart that in Jesus' name, the one who bought us with his blood, God, you hear us. That's what Jesus was trying to teach as he told people to pray our Father. He wanted them to understand, because of what I'm about to do, you have a special relationship, a standing before God like you've never had. You are one of his children, and he loves you and cares for for you. We have a hard time, I think, understanding that. So it's important that we see they prayed in Jesus' name. The the apostles understood this. There's a great book by Paul Miller called A A Praying Life, okay? Very helpful. Um, illustration in here that I thought I'd just share with you. It kind of illustrates what I mean about not understanding the relationship that we have with God through Christ. And, um, and so it's on page 17, but basically he talks about what is it, imagine there was a job uh, called a prayer therapist, and they're supposed to help you improve your prayer life. Okay, and so you go and you visit the prayer therapist, and um, the prayer therapist says, okay, so Ryan, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how God is your father? And, you know, I would naturally say, well, I, I know that through the blood of Christ, 
um, I have been forgiven and, and I've received a spirit of adoption. And so I've been adopted as God's child. He nurtures me as a father nurtures a child. He gives gifts to me, blesses me as a father cares for a child, Scripture says. Um, he uh, disciplines me and helps me to grow as a father cares for a child. He, he commits his love to me as a father cares for his child. And the prayer therapist says, Ryan, that's great. You've done a great job of summarizing a theology of God of your fa- as your father. But what I'm really looking for is, what's your relationship like with your heavenly father? How do you guys talk? And then, if I'm really being honest, there would be points in which I would say, well, you know, it's a struggle. Um, there's sometimes where I know he wants my attention and I, my mind's just on everything else. And so he probably feels like I don't care about him or love him or, you know, sometimes I only come to him whenever I really need something. Uh, I don't just like spend time with him normally. And, and in fact, there's other times where I feel like I'm talking to him, but he's not answering me right away. So I don't really know if he's listening. And you can imagine all the earthly correlations of that as we experience those in normal relationships. That's what the illustration goes to prove. And so the, uh, the point of this illustration in the book is, I think you've got a dysfunctional relationship. I don't think you really understand how much your father loves you, how much you can just talk with him. And I think in many ways, as believers, that's something we wrestle with. And thankfully, the apostles had this Wonderful and beautiful understanding. They know Jesus. They know and saw what he did for them. They saw him risen from the grave. They saw him ascend into heaven. They know where he stands and sits at the right hand of the Father. And so they know where they stand as the Father's children. Now, I had to go through those five points. I tried to go through them as quickly as I could. We might go a little bit long today, but there's... um, I felt very important. Uh, I felt it was very important for me to share a testimony to the power of prayer with you all this morning. I don't often like to give personal stories or testimonies, mostly because I feel like they can be easily dismissed. Um, Because of my position as a pastor, I think there's those of us who wrestle with doubt and frustration, particularly with the power of prayer or the practice of prayer. And so we can hear a testimony from a, a pastor talking about the power of prayer. And you might simply dismiss it. And how do I know people feel that way? That's because that's the way I felt whenever I sat in the pews under pastors who shared about how God answered their prayers. And I, you know, in my immaturity, I just didn't understand what they were saying. Um, And so I thought, oh, well, of course that works for you. You're the pastor. You know, you've got special treatment. And that's not the case. So my testimony that I'm uh, going to give this morning is one that is not boasting in my ability to pray. Please don't hear that. This is a testimony of boasting in my weakness, my weakness in prayer. Some of you know that I've only, well, most of you here know that I've only been serving as the senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement since the end of January. And um, for most of the year, my wife Lauren and I have been in search of a home to purchase. And so with the COVID-19 pandemic hitting the country, the market has been exceptionally difficult. There's just been a lot of houses that have been slow to come on the market, and the good ones went away really quick. Bidding wars going out of our price range and all that. Um, Thankfully, in June, uh, actually on Father's Day, we were able to attend an open house in the afternoon and see a home 
uh, that as we visited it and reflected on it later, we thought, this would be a great home for our family. This really meets uh, all the needs that we have. And so we gave an offer, and that offer was accepted, which was a joyful moment in itself, and we planned to close on July 24th. And uh, the testimony that I'm sharing with you is about the closing of that house because it was not smooth um, or simple. I don't have time to go into the full details of what happened. If you want those details, Lauren did a beautiful job of writing a blog post about it um, that is on my blog website, ryanmowen.com. Very easy to remember. I'm very lucky to have my own name, website, URL, and you can find a detailed testimony of everything that took place um, through that weekend. But the shorter version of the story is that we were on our way to our closing when we found out that our entire down payment for our home had been wired to an incorrect bank account because we had been scammed by a cyber criminal. And the short story is somehow someone took advantage of us at a very vulnerable moment. I mean, you're in a period... Everything's done digitally right now, so, hey, we need these forms. Sign it and get it back to me, right? That's the, it's the exchange that happens when you're going through a closing. The last thing you want to do is lose your offer, have the sellers walk away, so you try to keep everything on track. And um, somehow a, a hacker of some kind or a cyber criminal found out our closing time. They found out our closing company. They assumed the identity of the closing attorney, and they proceeded to give us instructions for wiring our down payment um, and pretended to be our closing attorney. And we didn't find out until the day after I wired everything away. We were on our way to the final walkthrough. So at noon, we were supposed to close on the house. 9.30 was the walkthrough. That's the wonderful part where you walk through and you, you think, oh, it's all great. They fixed everything. It, it all looks good. I'm ready to sign. And we were just a couple minutes away from the house. And um, we got a call from the closing attorney saying, where's your money? Where, where's your down payment? It's not here. And I explained to him, I followed your directions. I did this. I did that. He said, that's not our bank. We don't email instructions. We only snail mail instructions. Come to find out they were sent to an incorrect address, so we never received the original instructions. We finished driving to the home and met with our real estate agent, who is a, a wonderful woman of faith. And uh, within a few minutes, the shock and panic began to hit us. We quickly said a prayer together and then began trying to undo what had been done. We um, tried to understand our situation quickly, and we, we came to understand that there is no guarantee uh, in instances like this that any money would be recovered. There are uh, no insurances for this type of, of transaction to back you up if there's a mistake made. And we also learned it's very discouraging when banks will not cooperate and communicate with one another. So the rest of Friday... July 24th was filled with frantic phone calls, long waits with uh, automated menu systems, and, and many unknowns. We wrestled with the question of, could we recover any of this money? We wrestled with the question of, would we be able to buy this house or any house in the near future? We wrestled with, how do we deal with the shame of this thing that's taken place 
and explain this to people. After a full day of trying to undo this horrible mistake, we had no answers. By the end of the day, we had made all of the phone calls that we could. We had taken the steps of reporting the crime to the FBI and connecting with our bank's fraud department. And all that was left to do for, for us was to wait and get through the weekend. And so we were exhausted. One of the things our real estate agent said to us at the end of that day was that somehow God is going to use this for his glory. We have no promises of what that would look like, but somehow God, because he uses all things for his glory, right? That statement was so helpful in changing my perspective of what my job was at that point. At this point, we were at a place of complete helplessness, and we realized the only thing we could do was try to be faithful, to rest and let God work. And so what are those things that we needed to do to remain faithful? Well, I had um, some worship, some music songs I needed to prepare for for Sunday and a call to worship. You might remember July 24th was the week that David Galletta was preaching. And uh, if you look on the message forum, there's some people who, is the pastor okay? I was going through something. Most of us are at some point. Um, Yeah, I was a bit emotional that Sunday. We know that uh, to be faithful, we needed to enjoy time with our boys and not let the despair of the situation ruin our weekend. We knew we needed to love one another. I am so thankful for how God just protected our marriage as I was the one who followed these wiring instructions and felt like a fool. We knew we needed to rest and trust that God had this situation and not try to scheme and plan and figure out our own solution to the problem. How do we keep the house? How do we get the money back? And so if you just kind of think over all those things of what God calls us to do, you know it's practically impossible, like feeling those feelings of knowing that there's just, there's no way we can do this without God's help. And so Friday night, Lauren and I committed to a time of praying and reading scripture. Now, I know there were others, family and friends, who were praying for us as well. But Friday night, we committed to a time of praying and reading scripture, and we focused on God help us to be faithful through this. Whatever this ends up being, help us to be faithful. And the strange thing about that weekend, as we've told this news to friends and family, is that the weekend was not filled with sleepless nights and anxiety and panic. In fact, I, I slept really well through the weekend, and we had joy. There was a lot of grief. We were grieving the loss of what had taken place, but there was still abundant peace, strangely, at the same time. And so that's the way our weekend went until Sunday night when I got a text and a phone call from our bank's fraud agent. It turned out she had been working the entire weekend to try to make contact with somebody in this other bank's fraud investigations department, which banks and weekends, you all know, that doesn't happen, right? And she was successful. She had found somebody that had worked for their bank and then, and then had transferred into that bank at another time. 
And so she called me at 9.30 at night and said, Ryan, I had to call you tonight. I didn't want to wait till tomorrow because this never happens. This never happens. Every cent of your down payment is still there. Every penny. And you're getting it all back. She said, it could take 30 to 60 days. There could be a dispute. But every cent is coming back. And she said, I've never seen that happen. I had to call you. I told my husband, I had to call you tonight. (laughs) But I'm so thankful that she did. Um, This strange thing was, uh, you know, at that point, we had the same disbelief and shock about the good news as we did about the bad news. <laughs> is this a dream? Is this really happening? Um, emotionally, we were basically at a point where we were prepared to hear that the money was gone and that we would not have a house anytime soon. And we were okay with that. Instead, we closed on that Wednesday. And our house now stands as a testimony of God's faithfulness to protect us in an incredibly weak time. But the greater miracle, I think, and this is something I have a hard time explaining to people, is how God strengthened us and sustained us through Saturday and Sunday. Money is money, right? But peace, who can buy it? When people hear what happened, they often say, I can't imagine the anxiety and the sleepless nights, and I I have to speak up and say, I didn't have that. I had grief, but I had peace. And so I'm telling you all this as a testimony to the power of prayer and the faithfulness and grace and love of God, because I, just like you, am weak. I've had much smaller, trivial issues come up in life, and I have handled them like a wimp. I have had little bumps come up, and I have fretted and worried and schemed and not trusted. And I say all of that because I know what it feels like to have let myself be totally distracted from being a husband and father and a pastor because of a situation that I just think, there's no way through this. And so in this instance... To go through a weekend and have the complete opposite experience, the only way I can explain it is it was God, his power being made perfect in my weakness. One of the things that we constantly prayed for was the strength and help and comfort to go through whatever it was. And so this is a story I share because it boasts in my weakness to be scammed by a cyber criminal, my weakness to have no power to change the situation whatsoever, and my typical weakness to respond to trials with anxiety and worry and exhaustion from trying to figure out how to fix things. In all of that weakness, God strengthened and he answered. And so I share it to encourage each of us. I want our church to just have even just a a mustard seed more of faith that God answers prayers. He answers prayers according to his will. And because he does, I want to invite you to join me in in lifting up some prayers and our prayers this morning in a time of prayer, part of our worship this morning.
Father, I praise you and thank you for the gift of this testimony of being able to testify and witness to your faithfulness in the midst of my great weakness. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this and your word to strengthen your people. Strengthen them as husbands and wives, as parents and grandparents, as members of this body and, and your church for the, the callings that we have on our lives. Lord, you know all of the, the many requests that we can bring before you. And so, Father, I want to give opportunity for your people to pray, to exercise the strengthening of their faith that has taken place through your word and your spirit. So, Lord, in this quiet moment, hear our prayers to you. loving Father, what a gift it is to come before your throne through such grace. Father, we want to thank you for Mary as she celebrates her 99th birthday and ask that you bless her, Lord. We pray, Lord, for Alan's back surgery this Wednesday and, and ask, Lord, that it would be successful, that you would bring healing and comfort to his body. We thank you for Carol's successful surgery and, and Lord, we thank you for how even the doctors were amazed at how well it went. What a sign and testimony of your care and love. We pray, Lord, for her to continue healing. Father, we pray that you would be with Cindy and Gordon. Lord, you know how they feel so much uh, like they're running on empty they find their rest in you and grace. May you strengthen and comfort them. Lord, continue. We praise you for your work in the lives of, of Rhonda's mom and, and Rhonda and in the life of Robin. We pray and, and ask that you would continue to work and develop and, and build the testimony that you are displaying there. Lord, we pray for Cassie the tremendous hardship that she is facing. Oh, Lord, grant her grace. Give her strength for faithfulness. Lord, we want to lift up Andrea and Theodore, Ted and Grace, Allison, Sue, Susan, Lyndon, Lyle, Ruth, Anita, Gracelyn and Lisa, and ask for your continued uh, work to be in these situations, your, your prayers, Lord, your comforts, your, your uh, joy, your peace, your presence. We ask for those things to be granted through our prayers for these. 
Lord, we pray for protection and encouragement and strength in the hardships of all of those who serve on the front lines and as first responders. We pray especially for Diane and Tricia, Pamela, Nima, Temi, Elena, Jelaine, and Michael. And Lord, we, we thank you and ask for your grace and, and special blessing upon the, the dear ones in our congregation, Stephen, Jose, David, Shannon, Andrew, and Carolyn. Lord, for all these things, we lift them up to you, and we entrust them to your care, knowing of where we stand in Christ's name. Amen. I encourage you to stand and and feel free to um, hum along and rejoice in worshiping the Lord, singing God of this city. Please stand. This is a song that uh, expresses the reality that God uh, has great purposes and accomplishes great things uh, through and in his people. He uh, accomplished great things through the apostles and uh, accomplished a great work in Ryan and his wife's life. And uh, he accomplishes great things through his church atonement.
still to come and greater things are still to be done in this city. Brothers and sisters, the church is essential. Each one of us, God wants to use. He wants to speak through you. He wants you to witness to his glory. He wants you to tell the world who he is and what he's done for them. If that sounds overwhelming, it should. Pray. And as we go about that work, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us now and always until we meet again. Amen.